0: This is going to be an interesting show because the contrarian in me almost wants to come on and just trash it from beginning to end because while I was waiting for you, I logged into YouTube and just my feed, which is a bunch of nerds. Right. And I saw the thumbnail in video after video after video where the podcasters all enraptured in some expression of transportive glee, smiles, laughter, hands clasped to mouths in astonishment. It's like, okay, this may be the one thing that brings this country together. Fractured America has united over Strange New Worlds crossover
1: with Lower Decks. And and the, the musical will divide them once again.
0: Yeah, exactly. So that's why I'm determined to enjoy this moment, because you're right, it's not going to last. And probably the musical episode will start World War III within the fandom, which, you know, is entertaining, I guess, in its own way. You know how we were talking during new breed about how it was a departure from our classic method of me ridiculously over preparing and you winging it yeah because we both ridiculously over prepared for new breed yes as, as though that would protect us it was touching our faith well, in these talismans
1: but no scott scott you don't you that's the one thing that i don't think you understand or, or 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 maybe you, you're not you don't want to understand. Is what? this movie didn't hurt me? I know it didn't. It inspired you. That's the thing. I, it hurt the, me,
0: but you were you were inspired to a fever of of analytical creativity. You said to me, "I've got 15 pages of notes." I didn't, whether that was an estimate or not. That's you it, know, 15 it more was It was not. I had, to come to the I table had
1: 15 with. pages. I had 15 pages of notes. So, don't say this movie didn't affect you. I mean, oh, yeah, no. rolled
0: off your back. You're Superman as far as your resistance to this kind of stuff. And I'm like Detective Chimp or something. I, I have no resistance at all. So, I think that was that made for kind of there was still a dichotomy. In our no, analysis, and even truly though, though
1: I normally hate this shit. I don't get to so, like you know, I don't like the so bad as good movies mostly. Yeah. Although, like I said, my appreciation for Ed Wood has improved, but <laughs> like I hate the I hate the Room with a passion. I do not get the Room. I do not get for, for the Perdemic Love at all.
0: I actually got tired of it in the seventies during Rocky Horror. Understood. Understood. Even though that was probably the best version of this i mean people go to the room it, the audience participation is lame it, civilians could do it back in the day all the theater kids and aspiring drag queens would get up on stage
1: during rocky horror it was a show i was one of them i was one of them not the aspiring right. drag That's queen right. but i did it for 4 right. years not only did i do the rocky horror picture show for 4 years but i actually did for two weekends i played riffraff in the play oh i bet you were great I, Although a tall I, riffraff is an interesting thought. We yeah, it was we played with the height. We definitely used the height because I was taller than both Brad and Janet. So and it's a different Bra- definitely a different vibe. Not 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 the hunchback, more like the tall no. medicine lurch like. Yes, that's so, what we did. That's so, how we did it. That's kind of what we went okay. for. That is kind of what we went for doing the play. I'd seen the play before, and I think the play is much better than the movie as an experience. I mean, the audience makes the movie because the movie's horrible. It's phenomenal on stage. It's a completely different experience seeing the entire show without a movie, but just seeing the show with a live band. It's a completely different experience. The biggest takeaway is the music is much faster. All of the songs Mm -hmm. are much punchier. All of them.
0: I, I think the reason I got tired of the so bad it's good thing and Rocky Horror was my avenue to that to satisfaction is because the first time I saw Rocky Horror was before it exploded as a
1: midnight movie.
0: I mean it was right. just a film
1: Well you and know when I saw so I, right? When I it right I saw it at the same time you did it was 19 it was when it first got released in theaters and it didn't have the midnight audience I saw it when it was released in normal theaters my uncle took me because it was rated PG.
0: And I remember walking out of it, my girlfriend Brenda had, I guess, enjoyed it. But she saw that
1: look on my face, that scowl, that, that let's not talk about this movie. It just did not well, work for me as yep. a movie. I was seven. I thought it was boring as hell. It may have been 78, but whatever year it was, it was I was bored as hell.
0: Yeah, you have to have a real affection for the B-movies and the, the other cultural ephemera that inspired O'Brien to write it in
1: the first place. It's so much better on stage.
0: I'm sure it is. And the reason I'm sure you're absolutely right about that is because I got dragged back to it when it became a midnight movie. And I said, no, I've I've seen this. I didn't like it the first time. They go, no, no, it's a different experience. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I had some friends who were doing it. So, of course, I went just to be supportive and oh, okay, now it's not only this mediocre movie, it's also a show. And because things went not the same every night. They were different people. Some people had different choreography. It was it yep. was a different experience every time you went.
1: Dude, I would sometimes play, some nights I would play Brad and Janet in the same, I mean, Brad and Riff Ruff in the same show. If you managed to play Brad and Janet in the same show, Not I would Brad have been very Janet, no, no. impressed. I, I, um, that was my dream, but no, because I was the only person in the theater who could do riffraff Raff and the Time Warp without looking at the screen at all, and I was dead perfect with him. I was also hmm. the only person who could do Brad's damn it, Janet and the Floor Show without looking at all at the screen. Wow. Gee, I'm an actor, go figure.
0: Well, that's what made it fun, in my opinion, is that it attracted people like you who had some theatrical training. It wasn't just a bunch of amateurs. It, it was sort of like going to a karaoke bar right around the corner from Juilliard and getting your socks blown off. Unexpectedly, during Paradise by the Dashboard Light, perhaps.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only reason I remember my uh, that Rocky Horror experience, I honestly think is because the night that it aired, I, this is the only reason I remember it vividly, I was at my uncle's and Donnie and Marie was doing the Star Wars show. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Christopherson was on and he played Han, Han Solo. <laughs> Seriously, I, I, I forced them to watch it, my uncle and his girlfriend at the time. Um, I forced them to watch it because it was Star Wars, and it was 78. Yep. So, yeah. and I was I was that age, so we had to watch it. And I remember, Lee said, hey, you want to go see this movie? It's PG. <laughs> <laughs> so you can come if you want. So yeah, we all decided to just, yeah. All right, anyways. <laughs> W-E-A-F, New York. It's not.
0: I just needed a transition. Anyway, now it's time to talk Strange New Worlds, Season 2, Episode 7, Those Old Scientists. So, I saw Barbie. Okay, we'll, we'll get there. But first, this message from Battelle. Scott, did you see Barbie? I haven't. I'm going to see it tomorrow because uh, they have discounts for old dudes on Tuesdays.
1: All right. Well, I actually have a lot to say about Barbie. I do. I think we're going to have to have a discussion about this movie, Scott. Maybe not even the show, just us talk about this movie. But that being said, as much as I want to talk about Barbie Sweet Prom, fuck Star Trek. We went through several seasons. We never changed the theme. And then we stopped recording because life got kind of mean. But I'm here to say it's a brand new day. Cause The Slumgullion has a new theme. It's the same show, just a whole lot shorter. This is The Slumgullion Theme. Written for you, our loyal supporter. Jeff and Scott still talk a lot, but time they ain't got still. They'll give it a shot on The Slumgullion. Wow, 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 wow. That's right. It's The Slumgullion. Wow, 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 wow. Hold on tight for The Slumgullion. A Quinn Martin production. In color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know it's the show. I am Jeff. Three hours behind me is Scott about pie. Holy sweet prom fuck Star Trek, Scott. Um, Did I not say, I don't know, a while back that, wow, everybody was hyped about the crossover episode that both Anson Mount and Rebecca Romaine said that their favorite episode was episode nine. Oh, yeah, that's right. I did say that. I don't remember if I you said did. this on I remember. the show or not, but I did say it to you. hmm and in that conversation, I also said that I had heard rumors that it could be in black and white or it could be a musical.
0: Yes, I poo-pooed the black and white thing. Yes. That that didn't seem likely just because of the incredible 256 million color palette that the designers use on Strange New Worlds. I don't think I poo-pooed the musical. I thought that was a possibility, although it didn't seem super likely.
1: And I remember saying that I thought that it would be really, really cool if, while all the focus was on the Strange New Worlds uh, Lower Decks crossover, which is indeed unique in itself, and, oh, we're going to get to it. I thought, wouldn't it be really cool if they snuck a little ringer of weirdness in the back end? And, Scott, what did they do?
0: It's been all ringer. It's been all back end. <laughs> this, it's like they're making the show thinking nobody's going to see it. It's like, they'll never know that we made Spock human ah, ah, jokes on him. I mean,
1: just uh, nonstop weirdness. The season, I mean, I'm completely here for it. Do not mistake. So I have to say before we even get into the the, 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 the episode, I, I, I have to say this. It's 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 I have to wait until the musical. So but but as of right now, I'm just going to throw this out there. No spoilers. Those old scientists is my favorite episode of Star Trek, period. Not since the revival, hands down. This, be, this beats, this fucking beats. I can't even think of the name of it right now. Goddamn. In the pale moonlight.
0: Oh, really? So when you say since the revival, you're counting since the revival from the original series, not this present kind of post-Kelvin revival since the
1: streaming service arose. Some people, yeah, some people are saying it's their favorite episode since the, the new revival. So the post-Kelvin stream, the streaming Star Trek, as it were.
0: I think Sean Ferrick said that on his ups and downs for this episode I
1: mean, he's not-, not the only one he's like the third person that i've seen who said that which Man, is really you- cool Because i'm glad the episode went well but no i'm going one step further it is my favorite episode of star trek it beat in the pale moonlight for different God, it's at a completely different level in the pale moonlight mind you but yeah it, it that is it is my favorite episode ever sweet prom fuck i love this episode scott where 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 do you even start with the the, the giddiness of this? <laughs> Well, I want to start by
0: talking about what you get when you decide to make a comedy episode of your not necessarily comedy show. And you have your regular cast, who are all good actors. They were well cast. And some of them have hidden talents, like Celia Rose Gooding's singing voice, that you can exploit here and there. But... Dear God, you get people the quality of Tawny Newsome and Jack Quaid. They're going to raise the level of the comedy performances from your regular cast, who are all extremely fine actors, but they're not cast on a comedy. You bring in the Lower Decks crew. They're used to working in the animation style where there is a lot of on-microphone improvisation. And Jonathan Frakes was saying on The Ready Room, I think it was, that Mike McMahon brought him into the production process for the opening and closing animated sections. So he got to see what Mike McMahon's method is, and he said it's very different from mine, but he kind of adopted it. Let Tawny Newsome and Jack Quaid go crazy, and apparently it was not disruptive. It was inspirational for everyone else. Christina Chong, who plays the grim-faced security chief, La'an and Singh, was practically giddy describing it. She was saying having Tawny and Jack on set was like a free stand-up show every day. So yeah, Jack Quaid and Tawny Newsome were, and were encouraged to be, by Jonathan Frakes, agents of chaos on the set and that there were so many crazy but funny and, and successful ad libs that a bunch of them made it into the show and when the show writers were watching the dailies and they were seeing all these ad libs and improvisations that didn't make it into the show it so impressed producer alex kurtzman that he called up Tony Newsom and said look i can tell you're a writer i can hear it in the way you're developing your improvs and sticking to the themes of the show so send me everything you've ever written So she said, holy shit, yes, and did. And now she's staffed as a writer on the upcoming series, Star Trek Academy. So, serious comedy chops. When when I was sitting there watching this, I'm just going, oh, the balls. The high wire act that they're pulling off. I mean, this could have gone so wrong in so many ways and really ought to have. It really ought to have seemed mashing these two worlds together, like some horrifying Saturday morning extravaganza where the Brady Bunch meet Goober and the Ghost Chasers or Frankenstein Jr. and the Impossibles, or Moby Dick and the Mighty Mitor, or the Amazing Chan of the Chan Clan, or, even better, their own hideous animated doppelgangers, the Brady Kids. In other words, it would be a world historical calamity that we'd still be talking about today, like the Star Wars Holiday Special. Instead, the transition was smooth as a baby's butt. Animated Boimler gets sucked into Animated Portal, and live-action Jack Quaid gets spat out of a CGI portal. He looks up at Pike, Una, and is it Mbenga? Is he the third person? Um, Mbenga, yes. And says, You guys look very realistic. The meta joke is obvious here. And that's it. That's all the reference we get to the fact that Boimler started his day as a two-dimensional cartoon. And now he's a real live boy with his own very cool-looking California-class Starfleet uniform, which made another very slick transition into live action. They look great. In fact, in some behind-the-scenes clip, Mike McBann said he just loved how they looked on set. Because they were so funny, but they also looked so Starfleet. I was actually pleasantly surprised by how knowing and self-referential they let them get. Because Lored X episodes are all meta. They're all just constant references to chunks of Starfleet lore that are both obscure and uncomfortably
1: explicit. There was one joke out of all of the jokes. There was one joke that I felt was written for me. When I heard this line. I went, okay, yes, yes. I think it was Una's line. Do you know how worried I was? You disappeared in a vortex while I was in charge. For all, I knew you were dead or stuck in a dystopian in San Francisco in the middle of a riot. Does anybody notice that the references are weirdly specific? Indeed. That's a me line. Out of all of that entire show, that's the one line that I would have contributed in the writer's room. Yeah, probably true.
0: <laughs> so they are basically playing three-dimensional chess with the jokes.
1: And uh,
0: Anson Mount did something when he was acting opposite the both of them, and also with Jack Quaid, where he was trying to make his face do nothing and trying so hard that it was doing everything. Yep. And it reminded me of something, and this, this is a an odd comparison, but... I read an interview with Don Knotts toward the end of his life where they were asking him about the inspiration for Barney Fife, how he created the character because it is one of the more enduring figures in sitcom history and, and in fact in the entire bronze age of television.
1: I I have never gotten Don Knotts, I freely admit it.
0: I would not disagree with you. I certainly was not a Mr. Furley fan, but I recognize the achievement that Barney represents and I actually changed my mind about Don Knotts when I saw him I guess in the 80s, in a live theater production of Last of the Red Hot Lovers. Nothing Barney-like. Nothing redone of his sitcom characters. He was just an actor doing a very good job with the role. But to the point, I always thought of Barney as just sort of cringe comedy before that term of art was defined. His concept of the character was simple. Barney, he was a man who could not under any circumstances keep what he was feeling out of his face. It's like, Henson Mout sort of did a version of that. It's like the more opaque he tried to become. Parts of his face that ordinarily
1: weren't involved started twitching. There are so many just little things. And not just from uh, Boimler and Mariner. Yeah, yeah, but just like scattered throughout the show, there were so many just little isolated moments of brilliance. But my absolute favorite Boimler moment wasn't the Riker. Which, oh, my God, the fact that he did that in front of Jonathan Frakes, that's so awesome. Okay, touching this can't possibly change the future, right? Whoa.
0: Riker. (laughs) Which is funny in itself, but he emphasized when he was talking about that that was an improv. He kind of had to work up his courage to do it because Jonathan Frakes was standing nine feet away from him. And Frank mm-hmm. said that when he when he sat down to watch the episode with his
1: wife, when Jack Quaid did the Riker, she screamed. OK, that's, that's funny. That's pretty damn funny. That I really like. Wait, 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 wait a, Hang on, hang on. Hang on. Let me tell you my actual favorite moment. You don't you're not tangenting me on this one, Scott. I want to get this out. My absolute favorite Boimler moment, though, was he did the live action Section 31 Power Walk. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. I couldn't believe that. And it was in the background; they didn't draw attention to it. You could have easily missed it. That was the perfect way to fucking do it because it looks so hideous in live action. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Like he dislocated his hips the way he was walking. It was, just, it was perfect. He even like, he even did the Boimler run.
0: Oh yeah, with the bastic open handed. Yeah, and it looks it looks even more Boimlery because he's so
1: gawky in real life. that's that's the thing they couldn't have cast a better actor to play these roles no
0: it's almost like they originated in live action they were cast and they go okay well the pilot's not gone but we're gonna do this cartoon we'll use you there now it's hard to think of an example where this was done and done better
1: but and and (laughs) although there are so many. Sorry, I'm having a high moment just because I'm thinking about I'm getting giddy again, thinking about this show. There were just so many little moments again. But I swear to God, I think the thing that nailed it for me as this being my favorite episode of Star Trek of all time, the whole episode, I'm sitting there going, yeah, it's it's going to it's on the list. It's really it could beat in the pale moonlight. This is ticking every single one of my boxes in ways Star Trek hasn't done since. Oh, God, the 90s. Holy fuck. Okay, okay, okay. But then at the end, when they kind of imply with the last scene that the only reason the show is animated because at least one person is just drunk on that drink.
0: (laughs) At all times. (laughs) Yes. One person on the Cerritos at all times. It's just a, they. It's like a relay race. It's like being the opposite of the designated driver. There's always gonna be someone. All right, Ensign. Sorry, you drawn the short straw. You got to be shit faced on the Orion Delac for the entire week. Don't let us down. Keep us cartoony.
1: I don't know if I don't know if people could catch that or not, but that's what it seemed like. That was their explanation for it. And I fucking loved it.
0: Yes, because you get the fanboys fretting for months before it air going. How are they going to explain how some of these characters are real and some are animated? People are going, they're not going to. They're two separate shows. Don't be an idiot. The fact that they would go, here's your fan explanation. Here's your member key card to uh, canon. Enjoy. Mm, what exactly have we been drinking for the last hour? Mm-hmm. Orion Hurricanes. Karas gave us a bottle of real Orion Delac. So they're genuine. Interesting flavor. Does anyone else feel strange? Why does everything feel so... two-dimensional?
1: My arms don't normally do this.
0: My eyes feel huge. Do my eyes look huge? Hmm?
1: Hmm? WHAT THE HELL IS IN THESE THINGS?! <laughs> Another reason why this show is my favorite Star Trek episode of all time is not only do we have cartoon characters brilliantly played in live action by their actors, but they actually have serious consequences on the characters of the show. Yes, they really serious do. Serious consequences.
0: They're the consequences of actions that were entirely in keeping with the characters of Born and Mariner. I mean, that, that, was yep. the, that was the great thing. All right. Well, we're going to have to obviously we're going to have to, you know, work on them because they're cartoons. We got to make them seem like real people. No, that Boimler could have given that speech on Lower Decks. He has given the equivalent of that speech on Lower Decks and it worked beautifully. I'm sorry about your dad.
1: But I wonder if someday you're not around anymore. How many people on this ship would wish they had another day to talk to you? Sometimes it's hard to visit the past. Yeah, I mean, I didn't want to be here at all. Okay. The scene that genuinely surprised me, uh, as far as like how it hit me, was a Boimler scene with a Nurse Chapel. Oh my god, that's that one of the, was heartbreaking.
0: It was, and that's part of the reason this is this may indeed be my favorite episode of Star Trek because it's not simply funny. Boimler has severe social anxiety and i grew up with that too and it makes you do things that in an attempt to be wholly inoffensive that cause pain to people wholly inadvertently but wholly inevitably and th- there's that thing like, where like like if i leave someone a message and then i don't hear from them for a few days i immediately think oh god what could i have done and right. he sees spock who he doesn't know who he's only met a few hours previously acting in a way uh, uncharacteristic to his expectations and immediately thinks it's all about him and it's his fault and dear god he has to fix it and when he confronts nurse chapel and he knows he shouldn't and she knows he shouldn't when she gets what he's saying there is an expression on jess bush's face it's like the distillation of the kind of damage you can do when you have social anxiety disorder and you're trying to fix problems that don't yet exist So when Boimler said what he said to her, she took like a split second to process the enormously dire implications of his words for a relationship that she seems very invested in. And then a split second later, she registered this enormous emotional blow as almost physical pain. It's almost like he had slapped her. That's the look on her face. Sort of horror and astonishment and a kind of moral deflation all at once in a brief scene in an elevator on an episode that for the most part is being played for comedy the amount of tones they were able to switch to rather effortlessly is another thing that i find enormously impressive about this and and it's a testament to a brilliantly written script and a very deft hand direction by jonathan frakes
1: and as i was watching it and she's playing i see it after wiping the tear cuz yeah i kind of turned up i went i went oh my god this makes Christine in the original series kind of make sense. Mm-hmm. and I was like, they retroactively kind of fixed chapel and I'm okay with that.
0: I keep forgetting about where they're going, even though it's all in my head. I mean, I've seen those episodes so many times, but this is such a new thing or it feels like such a new thing to me that I keep wanting them to just, okay, let's just make this another universe you've got the prime, you've got the Kelvin, let's call this something else. And let's let these people live out their own destinies because, because it's depressing where some of them end up. And, and I keep forgetting what they're doing until they move a piece forward. You know, it's a chess game. They're playing with this and chapels a pawn, So like, "Eh, all right, they're, they're still respecting Canon. Like,
1: but that's that's the th- I, I, as much as I hate saying it though. Well, I agree with you on that. They have, like I said, retroactively made something that I've never liked about the original series much more interesting. I actually went and I don't, I found a, a YouTube video. I don't even know what it was, but it was, a, it was a random Star Trek video review. And it actually had one of the, uh, it had a chapel pining clip from one of the episodes and I totally bought it. Hmm. I'm like, after what I just saw, this acting, it it, it makes perfect sense It fits the character. Yeah, it wasn't there before. I know the backstory wasn't there before, but then she had no backstory. She was a thoroughly an interesting character, and we all know that.
0: Yeah, she was the producer's wife, is why she was there.
1: She knew that he would get busy with any woman
0: cast on the show that he could. So she was around with her little role didn't stop him from having an affair with Michelle Nichols, although that may have been earlier. I think that may have been because she also appeared on
1: Roddenberry's previous show, The Lieutenant. To do oh, to history, make- Scott. Okay. <laughs> You're welcome. No, I did not know any of that. I did not know any of that, actually. So, okay, good to know. But, yeah, it's, I I was absolutely blown away by that scene. And like you said, the boymore speech at the end. But, okay, the scene that actually had me crying that legitimately had me crying was Una finally finding out about the poster.
0: And I was a little misty-eyed, partly because she was summoning up some tears. She had very moist eyes when she found out that, that someone who was, as far as she knew, in Starfleet by the skin of her teeth and solely because somebody that the brass respects spoke up for her, and because she had a good lawyer, to find out that she, at some point,
1: becomes... An ideal of a Starfleet officer. Such a beautiful callback to another great episode mm-hmm. and a beautiful payoff. It was a nice little... Listen, I, I may have given you the wrong impression about Boimler's poster. It's it's for recruitment. Yeah, you're the literal poster girl slash woman for Starfleet.
0: You should have led with that part.
1: Yeah. Is this true?
0: Uh, yes,
1: sir. Number one, sir. Uh, It was a... Really big reason why I joined. Ad Astra Perespera. They put that on the poster. Una's had a nice arc this season. She has. They've given Una kind of a full arc over the course of these episodes. That's really cool. Which makes me wonder, oh god, what's gonna happen to her now.
0: Yeah, me too. It could go one of two ways, of course, but we also could at the end of this run,
1: you know, see her promoted to captain on her own ship. So at, that is very true. We 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 do not know, so they could be nice. Mm, they could be. They're often <laughs> not, but they could be. Yeah. But anyway, uh, oh God, what else? Oh, <laughs> so many things. Oh, okay, yeah, Mariner and Uhura. Yeah, yeah, just that whole.
0: you know they're they're treating ohura with a great deal of respect as a character they're giving her time to grow in front of our eyes i
1: liked her when she first appeared
0: and And in two
1: episodes she's gonna be belting and i can't wait and the fact that i like her so much more
0: than i did in the first episode just shows how well they're developing the character my initial reaction may have been a bit of nostalgia but she has been exceptional I think they recognize what they have in her and they are giving her a lot of things to do and that's perfectly fine. But I was wondering how her performance style was going to blend with Tawny Newsom's.
1: It's, they blended with everybody. That was the amazing, I mean, oh dear God, Boimler and Spock. I get why everybody was, why, why the, that Spoimler thing I heard before the episode aired. Now I get it. Holy shit, those two were hysterical. And we got the Boimler scream.
0: Oh, we got the Boimler scream. In fact, we, we got what I would call a charcuterie board variety of screams from just a little startled squeak when Ortega's and Chapel find him in the mess hall and start giving him the raz.
1: What you got there? Ah, huh,
0: um, hey. Up to full, top of the lungs, existential shrieking in the material synthesis lab when everything is exploded. Do you feel lucky? Ah,
1: uh, no, not at all. I, um,
0: okay.
1: Uh, so. <laughs> ah, ah, okay, is that bad? Our sparks
0: bad? Yes, See cover. Ah! <laughs> it was so satisfying. The amount of work that Jack Quaid put into it, including going back, rewatching all the old episodes of Lord X, and figuring out some way to translate animation into actual physical things that could be performed comically by a real human body.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, both of them. I mean both of them I thought were just absolutely astounding. You know, I really also just talking about that scene, I'll use the phrase again, sweet prom fuck Ethan Peck. He has been hysterical throughout this season I mean, he's been a circle in the entire show i mean spock as a comic character is not something you really expected but he's really turned to a really funny flipping character and this, this episode even when he wasn't with boyling he was funny but oh man those scenes were just 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 uh his smile that stepford smile he's perfected the john agar smile which you know, <laughs> as, as the john agar smile but oh that's beautiful well said it's, scott
0: well, it's a quote from the Creature's Revenge episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000, where John Agar is macking on Laurie Nelson in the aquarium. And he makes the curious acting choice of smiling at her with a rictus-like grin that stops at his upper lip, inspiring Mike Nelson to say, never let a smile touch your eyes. That's the John Agar way. And uh, dear God, <laughs> Ethan Peck has nailed that and the fact that it's that it's a little scary to me completely makes me identify with how squirmy boimler is about it when he's reunited with mariner and she goes what the Spock smiling now he just doesn't now
1: just go with it don't
0: it's he like it kind of is you speak for all of us
1: <laughs> <laughs> but but my, my favorite moment in that particular scene is still it just was a two aspect yes. Yes, seat cover. <laughs> right before the explosion, Spock's yes, seat cover. Just that perfect little, or was he's walking away. And the fact that he didn't even warn Boimler, it just turns around and starts leaving. Just beautiful.
0: And perfectly understandable, considering Spock just had a civil discussion with Boimler about how Boimler upset Spock's girlfriend. And maybe don't get up in my grill, man. The fact that he walked away right after Spock had said, really, all I can do is what I have been doing and I can continue my experiments in human emotion. That scene where he walked off and Boimel was standing there by the exploding thing, it just proves that Spock's experiments have so far borne fruit because he's already unlocked one of the most important and useful human emotions,
1: passive aggressiveness. He's at that level of humanity. (laughs) And I like that with the whole thing, especially with this discussion, I'm like, okay, they can fuck around with Ken with Spock a little bit now. Mm -hmm. I mean, they they could anyway beforehand, but now they've given themselves here. I'm doing this. I'm experimenting.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And it's also interesting to me that I hope the show knows something that Boimler clearly doesn't because he he always says, well, it's fine. I've I've read every book about Spock. I know he really does the reading, but he makes the false assumption that that means he knows everything. So going back to the original series, Spock has always been a funny, not a comic character but a source of humor. Some of my favorite bits in the old show are Spock's caustic wit and his humorous, ironic observations.
1: You are also much more of a fan of the original series than I am. Oh, much more, yeah.
0: That was my Star Trek. And, you know, emotionally, I think still is. No shade, dude, no shade at all. There's
1: uh, No internet argument for me, man.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, by the time we work our way through the movies and we get to Star Trek IV The Voyage Home, Spock is involved in numerous comic hijinks all throughout that film
1: okay brad tangent since we're on this subject since we're on this tangent here's my tangent
0: ooh it's hot tangent on tangent action proceed
1: my absolute favorite spock leonard nimoy comic moment Mm-hmm. It's from Star Trek 2. Relatively early on in the film, Kirk has gone to Spock to talk about something. Spock's in his uh, flowing black night robe. And I don't know what the setup for it is, but Kirk says something like, I'm not going to argue with you and learn anymore. Just dead pants. That is wise.
0: Yeah, it's one of those defining moments. Again, it's a laugh laugh. It got a big laugh for the theater when
1: I saw it. I, I, I vaguely remember seeing the movie in the theater. I have vague memories of it. The main thing I remember is about half hour into it thinking this was just how much better it was than the motion sickness, as I called it. (laughs) I was one of those people. My, I won't say admiration. My respect for Star Trek the motion picture has grown over the years. But back then, I fucking hated that movie with a passion. So I think I told you this. The only reason I even saw Star Trek, 2 was I was a fan of Nicholas Meyer's 7% solution. Tell told me that, and that was pretty funny. <laughs> but anyway, we have, we have strayed. Oh, my God. This Okay, so, yeah. My absolute favorite piece of, of Star Trek ever, at least for two more weeks. We'll see. Right. Because musicals will take this to a whole nother level as far as geekiness for me. <laughs> I mean, it already
0: looks good. It had me from the first shot in the trailer where you've got the camera turning 360 degrees and then suddenly red shirts are doing stag leaps in the corridors of the Enterprise. This is like it was made for me. And it says, Scott, click the remote. You're going to have the time of your life. I'm calling it now. I think we're going to love it. And if I am disappointed, if I am betrayed, I will come back seeking blood.
1: But I'm thinking I'm going to like it. I am about... I know I am too, but I am holding on to a little bit of healthy skepticism just in case, because Star Trek has what's the word I'm looking for? Um, jumped the shark on more than one occasion to, say, to be to be polite.
0: Yes, it has it worked past the space shark <laughs> on on a lot of occasions, but that's you know you're going to get that with longevity. Another thing that occurs to me that I really liked in the episode and was an example of the regular cast, not necessarily raising their game because their game is pretty high to begin with, but getting into this particular groove. Mbenga has two moments, one we talked about when he's screaming,
1: what the hell is in
0: these things? Which is fun because you rarely hear Mbenga speak of, of a whisper. And the other one is a masterfully low key deadpan read when Boimler gets all excited about Embega's classic tricorder. Is that a classic TS one twenty two tricorder? It's a one
1: twenty. Do you mind if can I can I hold it? Just thank you so much. Oh my god. They never improved on these. I mean, yeah, they got smaller and more powerful and arguably less likely to explode, but design wise?
0: It's overlapping comic dialogue on Star Trek, like it's His Girl Friday
1: or Bring It Up Baby or some other Howard Hawks screwball comedy. Anyway, um, I want to do this on this one just to see what you would say. Fascinating, irritating.
0: Hmm. Well, I'll just say in my own defense that on Trek culture's ups and downs, they had something like 86 ups and Through most of the episode, zero downs until the very end when the last up became a trillium up, which deducts a down. So they wound up with 87 ups and minus one down, (laughs) which is a pretty strong endorsement, I think. Okay, is it worth trying to scrape for something irritating? It's not. There was nothing irritating. I was completely satisfied by this entire enterprise, if you'll pardon the expression. And... Do not wish to return the unused portion for a full refund. Fascinating for me is that they did this. They got away with it. Not even that astonished they pulled it off because the people that they have making Star Trek now are very talented. The fact that they did this in a 10-episode season, not a 24, 26, 28, or even 32-episode seasons like we had back in the day, they took one of their 10 precious episodes to do this which I'm sure made a lot of people worried early on because it it could trivialize everything. On the contrary, as you said, there was some remarkable character development, particularly for Pike and Uhura, nudging them closer to where they need to go. And the fact that these two important characters, both to Strange New Worlds and to Star Trek in general, experience these personal epiphanies through characters imported from the hilariously funny, very animated, half-hour comedy Lower Decks, is frankly gobstoppingly amazing. And whoever made this happen, male or female, has been awarded an honorary scrotum to carry around their 16-pound tournament-quality bowling ball-sized balls, because that's what it took. I also almost want to praise the executives at Paramount for having the nerve to let this happen, or at least the wisdom to step out of the way, but not while the strike's going on. So, hey, guys, pay your writers fairly, and I will praise you to your ass blushes.
1: He will. I've seen it. I felt it. I have put cream on it. I felt a great blush in the ass. Yeah, I actually do have an irritating thing. Okay, let's hear It's kind of a nitpick, but it actually is an irritating thing. We got Tendi and Rutherford in the beginning. We heard them at the ending. It would have been cool to see them in live action, too. It would have. Although- I know why they didn't do it. I get it. I get it. It's just I personally, I would have liked it if all four. It just would have been cool, even if it just would have been a shot looking through the portal of something. I would have liked to have seen that. That's a personal, irritating thing. Nothing more.
0: Oh, I would have loved that too, but even just one shot back through the portal of the two of them looking out would be so time-consuming and expensive. I mean, you'd need a wig for Noelle Wells, along with the green grease paint, and the wig just for Jack Quaid, apparently, was a major deal. Plus, they'd need to build a cybernetic implant for Eugene Cordero, and that's all for one shot. So, I'm afraid that was never in the cards, but I agree. It also would have been great for the cast because they pay voice actors differently than they do
1: actors in live action, so... Oh, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> and I actually do have an, a, a fascinating thing, and it's the actor in me. I was fascinated with Jack Quaid and uh, Tony Newsome. Is that her last name? Mm -hmm. The physicality, I was watching their movements the entire episode. This was the old actor in me, granted, but still I'm just like watching everything that they were doing, watching how they were bringing these cartoon characters to life. And I was like, okay. It's a completely different level, but I haven't seen something this cartoon to real life realistic since Robin Williams and Popeye, as far as I'm concerned. Hmm. Interesting. Again, this is the, the fact that they were able to get the actors who do the voices to play them and to give that that just again, the actor I and mean, was were just totally blown away by that. And I give both Jack Wayne Tynew some like the I bow to the altar that is them, the actor in me does, for their performances in this because they pulled off something I honestly didn't think would be possible, and they did it brilliantly. I mean, could
0: this possibly have been a coincidence? To hear Mike McMahon, this was not something they pushed from their side. The Strange New World producers came to him and said, hey, what would you feel about this? And of course, he absolutely wanted to play in their sandbox. And he said, well, that might work because our voice actors actually look very much like the characters as the Internet never tires of pointing out to us. (laughs) So I'm thinking, okay, was that just accidental? Because they'll do that sometimes. In animation, they will sometimes allow the voice actors appearance to influence the character design. Not unheard of at all. So I wondered how far back it went. And thinking of the physicality, like we said, Jack Quaid made a point of going back to the old episodes and studying how they made Boimler move and react. But Tony Newsom didn't feel the need to do that because she said, "Yeah, Mariners meet. And in thinking back to the times I've been on recording stages for animated movies, they've always got cameras pointed at the voice actors. Usually it's for matching mouth movements and expressions, but also gestures and body language work their way in too.
1: Right. Oh, and, and, and before we go, I do got to give massive, massive shout out to the joke when they were back on the Cerritos with, uh, uh, I can't think of it. What's his name? Jerry O'Connell's character. Oh, Ransom. Thank you. I thought it was Ransom. Ransom talking about Una being the hottest babe in the Federation. Such a beautiful joke. It really was. I'm going to call it now. I will call this now. If both Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks actually continue for a while, they'll do another one. They'll find Uh, a way. I think they'll do it.
0: Well, Strange New Worlds Season 4 debuts on September 7th, I think, and they've already announced Season 5. So we may get a chance to test that theory. I know Anson Mout has already expressed a desire to be rendered in animated form and pay a return visit on Lower Decks. But what I'm hoping is that this becomes... Not like the CW Arrowverse crossovers, which was a massive Normandy invasion-like undertaking every season. I was hoping they could do something like the paintball episodes on Community. One episode per season, a yearly tradition. Something to look forward to, like when you're a kid. And the Charlie Brown Christmas appearing on CBS meant Christmas is coming. That's how I feel about the prospect of additional crossovers, like a kid anticipating Christmas morning.
1: I'm just saying, I mean, it's, if if they last long enough, I truly, uh, the only reason I'm saying this, and it was, this is just me and my tinfoil hat theory. Anson Mounds, the look on his face and the delivery on the no offense, but don't come back. Yes. That felt like such a setup to me. It screamed a setup to me. <laughs> To the point where you
0: can see it in your head. If next season or a season after they try to catch this lightning in the bottle again, there would be a shot of his face previously on Strange New World going, yeah, no offense, but don't come back. Next shot. We're back.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, they bring in more characters. Like, I I, I think you're I could see Jerry O'Connell playing ransom in my action. I could. I buy it. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. oh and and since we've been shouting out the comedy moments okay one for rebecca romaine stamos this also brought me happiness rebecca romaine god sorry yeah really we- that was harsh i my my, my head is hung in shame sorry you can edit that out can't just god and never mind she would never hear it rebecca romaine una saying we can't just not look uh i know how to track the orions
0: didn't we talk about that
1: yes uh using future knowledge yes i know i shouldn't but um What if I could use it and you guys just uh, don't look?
0: (laughs) That's ridiculous. We can't just not look.
1: Can we? Can we? This just made me so happy. All right. Before I'm, I give anybody else their proper names, I'm going to call it. It was so far, basically one of the best episodes ever. I have no idea what next week is about. I'll watch it, but I really don't give a shit because in two weeks, for a couple of days before my birthday, we have the musical. It may be the greatest thing ever. It is a possibility it could suck, but I don't think it will. I mean, they nailed this. They nailed this. The only thing I worry about, honestly, is the songs. That's the Mm. only thing. But anyway, I am done. I am Jeff. That was Scott. Until later. Later.